you guys know, but this month, so April, marks the 10-year anniversary of New Philly. Are you guys aware of that? No, right? <laughs> Everybody's like, we're 10 years old? Yes. New Philly is 10 years old. I feel like we're 50, right? We've been through so much. <laughs> Feels like 50. But, like, really, New Philly has gone through so many different things. But this month marks our 10-year anniversary. Um, that, is, that is huge. Um, and at the same time, this month also marks the one-year mark since, you know, the assessment, our previous lead pastor stepping down, a lot of different shifts happening. It's a one-year kind of mark since then. And it's really crazy how God has kind of woven our story together and how we are here today. We're about to embark on yet another step of faith. Um, I'm really you know, like flabbergasted that, that God hasn't, you know, just let us continue to meet and all that, but God has been blessing us and he's been leading us as somebody who is, you know, leading the church and somebody who's serving as an elder. My biggest prayer request this past year has been like, God, I don't know what we need to do. You better make it really clear for us. Because, like, I don't have the wisdom or the experience or the expertise that is required to lead a church. So, God, like, you better be leading us in a very clear way. And he really has. Like, through every, every turn, every decision, all the timing, like, all the near misses that we've had. So many different ways. Like, God has really shown that he's with us. And I can't take credit for that. The elder board can't take credit for that. It really is got the spirit leading this church and so more than ever before i'm so confident that man not only are we going to make it like god has something very particular in store for for this house um we've been preserved for a reason i think under any other circumstance any other church we should have closed down this year um but god made it so clear to us not only that we're supposed to keep pressing in but that there's something redemptive um about this past season that god's going to bring to light and so since the beginning of this year, we've been talking about various different things. We've been re- revisiting what it means to be a church. So if you guys remember, like January feels like a million years ago, but it wasn't too long ago. All throughout January, we were talking about the first two commandments, simply love God and love people. We spent an entire month going through that first and second commandment. Then February, we talked about, you know, letting us run. If you guys remember that marathon picture where we're like all kind of like jacked up in, in the end, that marathon picture, let us run. We talked about my house, my house shall be a house of prayer. Um, then we had two guest speakers. We had Pastor Sam Song from SP, and then we also had Pastor James Lynch from The Way. They preach really timely messages for our church. Then the entire month of March, we went through a series on communion. We went through three different uh, kind of aspects of communion. The first was remembrance of what Christ has done for us on the cross. The second week, we talk about reconciliation with one another, and we administer communion to one another. That was like a really, really sweet Sunday. And then the last, uh, the third Sunday we did, we talked about the return of Christ and how when we partake in communion, we're actually doing this in anticipation for a communion that is to come. Like everything that God secured through his first coming is going to come into full fruition at his second coming. So that's what we talked about in March. And now in April, we're going to be going on a new journey, a new sermon series. It's long awaited, kind of overdue. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit this month. This is something that we actually haven't taught from the pulpit for years. And I think it was kind of our expectation, like, oh, people kind of know. that There needs to be clear teaching uh, in order for us to move forward as a house, specifically regarding the Holy Spirit. 
And so uh, I'm going to give you kind of an overview, a roadmap of what this month is going to look like. Today, we're simply going to talk about our need for the Holy Spirit. As obvious as that, sound, as that sounds, it, it actually isn't functionally isn't as obvious. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that means the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, all of that. And we're also going to be talking about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including gifts like tongues and prophecy. We're going to be talking about that next week. The third Sunday is Easter Sunday, but we're going to be talking about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. It goes hand in hand with the resurrection power of Christ. And then the last Sunday of this month, April 28th, um, we're actually going to have a special Sunday um, to kind of recap this entire last year. We've actually been through a lot this last year. So we're going to take one Sunday to recap what, everything that we've gone through together as a community. And we're going to take a time to kind of vision cast for the next season as well to pray together as a house. I don't know about you guys, but I really miss like corporate prayer for the house, like everybody together crying out to see God moving afresh in this house. And so we're going to take a time to do that on the last Sunday of this month. So that's kind of what this whole month holds for us. I believe that it is the Holy Spirit leading us. And I believe that we're going to see um, a new openness, a new hunger, a new desire to see God moving afresh throughout this month. So the reason why we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit uh, today is because we've talked about a lot of different things regarding what it means to be a church. So imagine, imagine we were to, um, at the end of this year, end up with a church that has amazing teaching. Like y'all can like parse Greek verbs. You, you can like, I don't know, like, like every message is like mind blowing and you can exegete scripture. You've got passages memorized and we got like an amazing teaching of the word kind of culture here. Would that be sufficient to call us a church? I see some heads. Okay. Um, now, let me pose this other question for you. What if we had, like, amazing fellowship? So everybody knew each other's name. Like, everybody was welcome in each other's house. Like, we, we were all up in each other's business. We were, like, praying for one another, contending for one another, sharing, you know, all our possessions. And, like, we had really, really amazing fellowship. Would that be enough to call us a church? And then lastly, the question um, that I have is, well, imagine we had, like, great music. Like, the worship ministry just took off. Like, David Ahn's buttery voice just, like, sends us into the nations. And we've got recording and we're writing music. And just, like, the, the ministry is exploding. Uh, would that be enough to call us a church as well? So I, I've, I've been kind of wrestling with all these questions because it will shape the direction that we take as a church. The one thing that we haven't talked about until now and that has, has been kind of assumed is that maybe if we take care of all these different areas, we'll land somewhere like churchy, like we'll land some church-ish, like we'll have a church at the end of this. But what we have neglected to talk about is the one big factor, and that is the interruption of the Holy Spirit, the intervention of the Holy Spirit. This is actually the non-negotiable for the church, the one defining factor that makes a church a church. This is because that's how the church was birthed as well. So we cannot think that we are building a church without actually talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the defining factor that brings us from, hey, we have a great social gathering or a great weekly concert or a great you know, lecture c- series. It takes us from that into what it actually means to be a church. 
So we don't want to just be a good social club. We don't just want to be, you know, a great gathering that just meets here once you know, a week and we kind of pat each other on the, on the back and we sing Kumbaya and then we go back our own ways. That's not what the church is meant to be. It's supposed to be a power-fueled bride of Christ that is here to shine the light of Christ like a city on a hill. It's supposed to be a force to be reckoned with. It's supposed to be something that is planted on the rock of Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. It's a completely different order from just like an organization or just a, a nice meeting where we sing nice songs and talk about a nice book. It's so much more than just that. And so that's why we need to talk about the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, as we go through the series, we will not pretend that we can uncover all the mysteries of the Holy Spirit. If any preacher ever says to you, like, I'm going to show you all the mysteries and I know all the mysteries of God, that's probably not a Christian, you know, They're, that's probably a cult. Um, we cannot uncover all the mysteries of God. So I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to kind of like dissect the Holy Spirit and you're going to have a complete understanding and handle on the Holy Spirit after the time we're done. But we're still going to have a lot of unanswered questions by the end of this, but we will have to wrestle with a scripture. We will have to go into our personal times of prayer in order to get more clarity, but we will do the best to journey through this together as a community. So I'm going to start with a quote from A.W. Tozer, and it reads like this. We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentives to seek higher plateaus and the things of, sp- of the spirit are all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that like, doesn't that kind of like put the fear of the Lord in you? Isn't this what church can become if we neglect to talk about the Holy Spirit? It can be just a show. It can just be a social club. Except, you know, we sing different songs and we have a different membership process and we read a different book. But we would be nothing more than just a man-made organization. And let me tell you, it is possible to have churches like that. It is possible to run churches for years like that with just good music, good strategy, hopefully a very eloquent orator. You know, kind of like TED Talks every week. And that is enough, sufficient, you know, to get at least a good drawing for for once uh, a week. And that's all it would take. But the truth of the matter, you know, is that we need so much more than just that if we want to call ourselves a church. Now, the reason why this needs to be said is because I believe that deep down inside, we don't really believe that we need the Holy Spirit. We are raised to develop a self-reliance, an independence, um, you know, a competence that goes beyond ever needing to ask for help. Like your your measure of success would be like, I never have to say, oh, uh, I need someone's help, you know, or uh, I don't know what to do. Um, That would be a measure of success in, in our minds and in the world's eyes. We believe that we don't need the Holy Spirit. We believe that there are enough church growth you know, workshops out there and books and seminars and, you know, conferences to kind of make us be okay. We feel like there's enough man-made strategies uh, to allow us to run a church. And as long as we have good intentions and good commitment, we believe that we are living the life that God has designed us to live. And we kind of live in that place of complacency. 
Now, let me go off a brief, I, I might lose some of you here, okay? A brief nerd rabbit trail, okay? So a few years ago, okay, I already lost you. A few years ago, I was taking this seminary class called um, Contextualization in Cultures. So it was a, a, a course that was designed to give you eyes to see how you kind of um, tailor the gospel message to bring it to different cultures. So, for example, a, a, uh, an example that is used is you know, there's a verse that says, Though your sins were as scarlet, uh, they shall be made white as snow. So that literally you would translate it in that way, except for cultures that actually have never seen snow, right? So for them, we'll be like, what is a snow, you know? Like, they have no concept of that. And so for different, for example, different um, native tribes in Africa, instead of translating that to snow, they would say as wool or milk, right? Uh, although it doesn't mean the same thing, it captures, and, you know, the same idea. It's white, right? After being scarlet, it turns white. Um, so that is an example of contextualization. Now, this course was talking about at what point do you compromise integrity of the gospel? At what point is it no longer the gospel where you've tailored it so much, you've altered it so much that you actually end up with something that is not the gospel? And so this was a really, you know, interesting thought to me. The, the term for that is syncretism. So I have like very specific thoughts about syncretism here in Korea, like when we marry certain Confucius mindsets with christianism like we're not going to talk about that today but because that is a long long kind of rabbit trail we weren't going to go on a shorter rabbit trail um but one i was reading this this really um insightful book and one of the things that it was saying it posed this question like in the post-industrial age postmodern era where we like trumpet rationalism and empiricism like if it's not a replicable experiment that you can kind of repeat over and over in a, in a controlled condition then it isn't true you know like we we are wired in this room we are wired to think this way if it is not naturally you know provable then it's not real and so this, this author was posing the idea, isn't that syncretism? Isn't that like an empiricist, rationalist, post-industrial age, syncretistic um, version of the gospel? Like you would never land there if all you had was the Bible. The Bible is chock full of supernatural things that it doesn't even give answers to. And so in our mindset... This is why we resist so much the idea of miracles, signs, and wonders, and the supernatural. Because we, in our world, we're wired to think, if you can't explain it, it's not real. Um, if you can't even explain God, then he must not be real. And that's kind of the pressure that we get from the world as well. But So that, that was like a, an idea that was posed by this one book. Isn't that syncretistic? That doesn't sound like Christianity. Christianity is a religion that is based on... The fact that God himself became man, which is, you know, doesn't make sense already. And then he died, but then he rose again. And that doesn't make sense either. And then he rose. I mean, not only did he come back to life, he ascended into heaven. That makes no sense. And now he's coming back someday. That doesn't make sense either. None of it makes sense. And it's not supposed to. That's why it requires faith. But that is the gospel message. That is like the skeleton, the, the, the infrastructure of um, the, the message of the gospel. And so when we, when we're approaching the theme of the Holy Spirit, we have to already come to it thinking I am predisposed 
to not believe in this kind of stuff. You know, you kind of have to come already knowing that I'm probably not going to believe what the Bible says about this because I was raised in a particular way, you know, in, in a particular society, in a particular culture. And this is what the Bible says in John 16. This is what Jesus says before going to the cross. He says, now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. So they are grieving at the fact that he's going to be leaving them soon. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he talks about this counselor that's going to be sent to us. But the the value of us having this counselor far surpasses the benefits that we would get from Jesus actually still being here on this earth. That's what he's saying. It's for your good. It's to your benefit that I should leave, because if I leave, I can actually send the counsel, the Holy Spirit to you. So our understanding of us having this counselor working in our lives and in our midst is not just like a cherry on top, like an extra, like a bonus. It's like more, even more instrumental, even more indispensable than as if Jesus was still living here with us, walking, breathing here on this earth. So it's that important, and that's what Jesus says. It is for your good. It is for your benefit. It is better, and it's preferable that I go so that you will receive the counselor. And when we talk about the counselor, in Greek, it means, it is, it is said, parakletos, it is counselor and helper. It's not just like counselor in the sense of like, like, tell me more about your life. How did I make you feel? They're not that kind of counselor. It's like aider, like the person who comes to your aid, the person that you summon When you are in need, that is the counselor and that is the helper. One who is called to one's side, especially called to one's aid. Because God sees ahead. And at this point in history, he already sees, okay, there's going to be a cross. There's going to be death. There's going to be three days of probably panic. You know, like what in the world just happened? And then there's going to be resurrection. And then I'm actually, a few days later, I'm going to actually leave. And then people are going to be at a loss. And I'm already looking ahead. I'm already seeing centuries of the the gospel needing to move forward. I'm seeing centuries of persecution and just good intentions and man-made, you know, strategies. It's just not going to cut it. This is why it is so necessary for us to talk about the Holy Spirit. God sees ahead. He sees the limitation of man. He sees the utter helplessness we feel when we're faced with an impossible task set before us. Because it is an impossible task that is set before us. And he promises a counselor, a helper, an aid, a person, not just like a kind of like a a spiritual ambiguous kind of gusts of wind. It's actually a person, the third person of the Trinity, a person that will enable, empower, mobilize, equip, and bring in the harvest. That is who we're talking about. If you guys are um, uh, a bit new to to this subject, I really do encourage you uh, to read maybe a couple of books. There's there's a few books that I would really highly recommend. One of them uh, is called The Forgotten God by Francis Chan. It was written a few years ago. And his whole premise is like, you know, we say that we're Trinitarian. We believe in the Trinity. But actually, functionally speaking, we only believe in the Father and the Son. But we rarely talk about the Spirit. So functionally, we're not really Trinitarian. We're bi I don't know what that would be. We're, you know, we only believe in the two persons of of the Trinity, not 
the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is like, uh, you know, like kind of there, tagging along, you know, but not like the full person of God. We don't really see the Holy Spirit in that way. And so that's why he wrote the book, The Forgotten God. Um, all right. So after Jesus arises from the grave, he appears to many different people. And before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples this. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really interesting Because for most of my Christian life, I assume that baptism of water, meaning of repentance, is the same. It's like a package deal, a one plus one deal, right? You get that? And you also get the Holy Spirit. That's what I assume. I I assume it's one and the same. But here Jesus is saying that actually it's two different things. It can happen at the same time for sure, but it's not actually the same thing. Repentance uh, and the baptism of water and the baptism of of the Holy Spirit. So he, Jesus himself, says that there's a difference between these two. And baptism is a word that means to immerse, to steep, to plunge. And this was something that I never really saw in scripture until um, I was confronted with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The reason, this is also the reason, like we can't say that, well, maybe the disciples weren't really saved then until the Pentecost. You can't really say that either. Right. Because they were, you know, confessing, you know, in the in, you know, the the deity of Christ, but also, you know, in the scene in the Last Supper when Jesus is washing Peter's feet and he's like, don't just wash my feet, wash the whole of me, uh, you know, kind of overzealous. Right. Um, kind of over. And then Jesus said, like, no, like you're you're clean, you're cleansed through my word. All you need is like for me to wash your feet. And so we cannot say that they actually weren't saved until the Pentecost. Does, um, does that make sense? So I'm just trying to make a case that it's actually two different things. We often kind of lump it together, believing that it is the same thing. And then he continues on to say, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So this is what Jesus says right before, like literally, like like he starts like floating up into the heavens and he disappears from their sight. Now, what do you do if you were in the disciples' shoes? What in the world do you do with that? Right? Like, what? You know? What just happened? I mean, so they did the only thing that they knew to do, and that was, then we wait. Then we don't jump the gun. We don't, just with this new, newly charged zeal, just go and try to take over the nations. We wait. If, if it is true that God will give what he has promised he will give, then our only role is to simply wait. And so exactly 50 days after the Passover, and that's why it's called Pentecost, it means 50th. So exactly 50 days af- after the Pentecost, uh, uh, sorry, after the Passover when Jesus was crucified, is a Jewish festival called Shavuot, or it's, it's actually the festival of weeks, the Feast of Weeks. It's 50 days after the Passover. They actually celebrate it, um, and they com- it commemorates two things. First, the first fruits of their wheat harvest. Interesting, right? 
it's like the chusok of sorts, right? So the first fruits of their wheat harvest, and then at the same time, they also commemorate the giving of the law to Moses in Mount Sinai. And it was on this day of the wheat harvest and the giving of the law of God that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those who were waiting for the power from on high. It's like a really neat picture for us to think about, right? Like it's pretty poetic and you know like amazing that on the day of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, he sends down his spirit to empower his disciples to go out and gather the harvest. Right? And it's not wheat, obviously, that they're gathering, right? It is people, it is the nations. And then, uh, so he sends out the laborers into the field, not by might, not by power, but by the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, it was the day that commemorated the law being given to Moses on Mount Sinai, amongst like clouds, fire, thunder, and lightning. And here we see the Spirit coming down like a mighty rushing wind, like flames of fire. So this is how it happened. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound, like a blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this isn't obviously the end of the story. What follows, immediately following this, is that a previously shy, you know, fisherman gets up and preaches a message that brings in not one, not two, but 3,000 people to the faith. Now, I can't imagine if they had gone out without waiting for the Holy Spirit, how long it would have taken them to get even to 3,000. But hopefully that this strikes your heart. When you wait for the Holy Spirit, God can do in one day what you couldn't do in a lifetime. And that is the power of God. That is the power of God. What would have taken years maybe happened in one day simply because they waited for God's power. God wants to make sure that we do not rely on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own strategies to do the work that God has called us to do. And this is a very humbling place for us to be in because we have all this zeal, you know, because we want to take on the nations for the Lord. And so often in our, in our zeal, we want to do things our way and we become impatient and we want to try things out and we want to just go out there. And yet God says, you need to make sure that you're not doing it in your own strength, but you're doing it through the power of the spirit. That is the only way that the harvest is going to come in. Now, I want to highlight just two different things today. We're going to keep it relatively short today. And this is the first thing. There's no surefire way of receiving the spirit. Like if I told you, if you do steps one, two, and three, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. That is a lie. That, you know, there's no surefire way of receiving the spirit. You can only position yourself in surrender and in hunger. You surrender yourself and you begin to hunger and seek for the Lord. And yet, at the same time, there's a way to ensure that you don't receive the spirit. Right? You can close yourself off. You can kind of reject things, you know, in pride and arrogance. And I know that this is possible because that was me for many years. You know, it's very possible. And I was very good at it as well. So you can quench the spirit. You can close yourself off in self-reliance and in pride and whatnot. And that was a very surefire way of me like to, to not receive the spirit, you know. So I cannot guarantee to you that, you know, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. All we can do is ask, position ourselves to receive. 
Uh, but I can tell you that if you do certain things, you will not, you know? Now, second thing, I want to make sure that we say very explicitly, being quote-unquote open is not the same as earnestly desiring. Yes. Again, from personal experience, this is what I told myself for many years. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm open, yeah? Like, I will... Pursue the things that I know, that I understand, you know, and if God wants to give me certain gifts or wants to, you know, have me, you know, encounter the spirit in a certain way, then, you know, like I I can't stop him, you know, like, you know, you do you, but I'll be doing my thing in the meantime. And that's kind of my approach to it. I was actually not really open. Um, I was just passive, I guess. I was passive about it. And I kind of just told myself over and over again, no, 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 no. Look, I'm I'm open. I believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, kind of, sort of, but I really wasn't really open. But 1 Corinthians 14, it tells us earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. It's not just passively wait. If you get it, yeah, great. If you don't, too bad. It's earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Because when you say, like, look, I'm, I'm open and, you know, I don't know what God will do, but, you know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. There's actually a lot of hidden pride behind um, that statement. It is saying, you know, like, I, I don't want to put myself out there, you know. I don't want to, you know, bring myself so low where I'm asking for something that maybe I might not receive, you know. Like, I don't want to be a beggar, you know. Like, I don't need to beg for these things. And there's, like, a, a lot of pride in, in saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm open, but I'm not really, like, earnestly pursuing. Um, when God in the Bible very clearly says, no, this is something good for you to pursue and not just pursue, but earnestly desire. Um, this kind of ties into my personal story with uh, my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, I was a cessationist, so meaning like I, I believe that the, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit, they ceased after the time of the apostles. So I was a functional cessationist for a long time. Um, I told myself, no, no, I'm really open, or like maybe if this comes my way, then I won't stop it. But until then, you know, like I'm not really going to pursue this thing. Um, I was very skeptical until the Holy Spirit encountered me, and I realized that I had been very content and very arrogant uh, with so much less than what God intended me to experience for many years. Um, And let me tell you, like, what God wanted to give to me, it wasn't necessarily just for my good. It was for the good of his body as well. So I was actively kind of blocking, you know, God from doing something that he wanted to do, something good that he wanted to do because um, I was simply content. I kind of didn't want, if I were honest, I was so concerned about my image, what people would think of me. Um, and I, I didn't want to be lumped in with like those weird Christians, you know, you know, like they're kind of like a little bit unhinged, like a little bit loose out there, you know, like I don't want to be lumped in with them, you know, and at the same time, so I was, you know, going to seminary and I was in, in particularly conservative circles of Christianity. And so I was like, I cannot, I cannot be that weird seminary, you know, uh, kind of peers that I speak in tongues. Like, you know, I cannot, I cannot be that weird Christian, you know? So like, I was so concerned about what people would think of me, that they will make assumptions about me that I didn't, I didn't want to ask for more. I was like, you know what I have right now is enough. You know, we're good. We're good. Like no need to give me any more. No need to give me any of the weird gifts. Can I have some normal gifts instead? Uh, you know, I don't want any of those weird ones. And so I had this like huge, you know, image thing that blocked me from pursuing more from the Lord. And so 
I guess I want to pose a question for all of us today, and this is kind of what I want to, what I want to end with. I want to just ask us a very simple question, and that is, do you want to see the Spirit moving in your life? Because the answer to that might not be as obvious as you think. You could say yes, maybe with your mouth, but practically speaking, like maybe we don't. Maybe we, we want to be left alone. Maybe we don't want God to rock the boat. Like maybe we don't want God to do anything like, like ah, like, don't do like kind of like a relative that you're kind of ashamed of. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking at my brother. <laughs> ah, that was not me. That was not intentional. <laughs> oh, perfect timing. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not ashamed of my brother. Um, but anyway, like you know, like those people that you're like, look, look, my friends are gonna be here, so like, don't do anything weird, you know? Like you know, like those people that you're like, just, just. Like, stick to the script. Don't do anything to freak anybody out. You know, like, there's, you know, people that you, you, you're kind of nervous around. And it's almost like we treat the Holy Spirit in the same way. We're like, look, like, this is a prayer meeting. Nobody's, like, lifting their hands. Don't make me do anything weird. You know, like, or, like, maybe only when I'm alone in my room. Like, maybe then, like, you can do whatever you want. But, like, here, like, no. Um, and so we kind of set all these limits on the Holy Spirit. And, and that is very hard for us to admit because, like, we're like, no, we're, like, all for the Lord. We want to receive more. Like, whatever you got from me, I want it. But then, like, we have our own stipulations. We want him to meet us according to our, our own kind of design. We have, like, okay, you're allowed to do this, yeah, but, but not this. And so as long as we're clear on that, you're not doing this, then maybe, maybe. But that's not really earnestly seeking, again. The thing about the Holy Spirit is that he's not a philosophy. He's not a power. He's not an ambiguous kind of, you know, ethereal kind of thing. He's a person. He's a person who has discernment, who has emotions, who has a will as well. Um, And it's very easy to offend the Holy Spirit in this way. Like, look, I want to know all of you, like technically, uh, theoretically, but I'm only comfortable with like 5% of you. The rest, like, I, I don't really know. And we're telling that to a person. Like, we're telling a person, like, I'm actually really ashamed of you. And so I'd appreciate if you didn't show up. You know, it's kind of like what we're saying, right? Um, again, I know this because that was me for a long time. Like, I can very bluntly say I was very ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Like, I didn't want him to do certain things. I, I just wanted to, like, do the good Christian walk and look like a respectable Christian. You know, like, wanted to make sure that he gave me certain gifts but not the weird ones. And I wanted to make sure that I built my own kind of image as a Christian. And it wasn't on God's terms. It was on my terms that I wanted him to show up. And so there's nothing that quenches the spirit more than that. You know, we cannot say, man, I, I want to see God moving afresh. I want the Holy Spirit to be poured out once again here in New Philly, but then be like, but, but here are the stipulations. Um, for us as a community to begin to ask for the Holy Spirit to move again, it means there might be some discomfort. It means there might be some things that are um, unexpected and, and unplanned, and we kind of need to make room for that. There will be safety. There will be guidelines for sure. But all in all, our heart posture needs to be Holy Spirit in whatever way you want to come. In whatever way you want to show up, we just want you. That's all. We just want you here. And that's, that's all that we want. 
So this is my question for you. Do you want to see the Spirit moving in your life? If you've never experienced the Holy Spirit, maybe for the first time, would you like to see the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Would you like to experience God in a fresh new way? If you have experienced the Spirit before, do you want more is my question. Sometimes that's a harder question because you feel like you've experienced everything there is, you know, to experience. And you're like, okay, that, that zealous, young, you know, thing, maybe that was a thing in my 20s. I, I'm not 20, okay? I know I look 20. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> it's a thing in my 20s and my college years, you know? But, um, like, no, now I'm, like, a respectable 30-something, 30-something. Uh, like, no, I can't be doing that stuff. That's for college kids, you know? Like, and you begin to think that you're above these things. And when the Holy Spirit is saying, like, no. There's much more for you as well. If only you would humble yourself. If only you would allow me to move afresh in your life. And so this has really been encouraging me. I want to seek God afresh. I want to see him moving once again in my life in a fresh new way. And so that is, you know, my invitation for, for our church. See, one of the key passages of scripture for this church at its inception, you know, it's Isaiah 61. And we've said it so many times that we kind of like, yeah, 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 the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me, dot, 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 to do all these different things, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free, all these things. But the first part of that passage is the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. And that is something that we need to find once again here as a community. I think there's a lot of different churches out there, and God has very specific assignments for each church. But I believe one of the key markers of this church, and probably what drew me to this church a few years ago, it was this hunger for God, you know? Like, I don't want just the bare minimum. I want all there is to have. And however God wants to show up, I'm, I'm down. Like, I just want to follow you. I just want to grow more in love with you. I want to know the word better. I want to pray for other people. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see, like, nations come to him. And there's, there's this passion and the zeal to see God moving in a way that you could not attribute to human strategy. You could not give credit to a man or a woman for that. And I feel like that was one of the markers of our church. That is what you could characterize this church as like new philadelphia church it's a, it's a church that loves the holy spirit that welcomes the holy spirit you know however it is that he wants to show up and i believe that is something that god is challenging us with and handle a particular time as well i know that perhaps in the past things haven't been handled particularly well and perhaps there's some residue from that there might be you know some you know, th- there might be some hesitation uh, in some people's hearts if you've seen this being abused. You know, if you've seen this exercise in a way that isn't safe, that isn't edifying. And I understand that. I think all of us have, have seen a fair share of that. Where you're like, oh, I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't believe that this is in line with Scripture. And I completely understand that. So we're not, we're not saying that we're not going to follow We're going to abandon the Bible and just go for the Spirit. We're actually going to go into the Bible that talks about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see God doing what he did in the Bible as well. And that's what I believe.